Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 48. It's titled, Do You Have Too Little Invested in Stocks? The topic for today's show, I, it kind of got here in a roundabout way. After last week's episode on should you invest for income or total return, I sort of made the case for some of the risk with income investing. And, and some of the feedback I got was, well, I thought you were going to teach us how to invest for income, and you really didn't talk about that. And then I said, well, maybe I'll talk about that this week. And then as I, I got into it more, I realized that's not really what I want to talk about. I think there is another topic that is even more important given where we are in the current market cycle. And that is, do you have enough of your portfolio invested in stocks? But before I get there, let me share a couple of experiences. Last week, I went back to my hometown in Cincinnati, Ohio, for my mother's 75th birthday party. And it was great to see family and friends, many of which I hadn't seen in a number of years. But I had some free time on Sunday in Cincinnati's Rivertown. And so I walked across the John A. Roebling Suspension Bridge. This is a bridge that was built in 1866. And at the time, it was the longest suspension bridge in the world. In Cincinnati, we often call it the singing bridge because it has these metal grates. And as you drive across, your car makes a singing sound. So I wanted to walk across this bridge that separates Cincinnati to Kentucky. And the reason why is because the Ohio River was flooding. It's been flooding for days, and it is the worst flooding in over 20 years. And so I stood on the river and was just amazed at the amount of debris that was being swept downstream. There were branches and logs and bottles and a surprisingly large array of different types of balls. There was footballs, there were basketballs, and, and apparently the water upstream taking it from yards. So, and balls float, so I guess that shouldn't have surprised me. Well, I reached the other side of the river, the Kentucky side, and I walked among these historical mid-19th century bricks homes. And their streetscape that abutted the river was completely inundated in water. The, the stop signs, the park benches, trees were all submerged. And the water actually came up right to the front yard of these really cool old houses. At one home, there was a man sitting on a large veranda, his porch, just calmly reading a book as geese and duck were floating by his front yard. And he seemed quite confident that the water would not reach his front door. Hopefully it won't. And it probably hasn't since there was a great flood in Cincinnati and Kentucky in 1937, but he, he didn't seem concerned. But if it did happen, I suspect the next time a flood came, he would feel much less calm. 
I remember for many years I had a client or several clients down in New Orleans. And I'd been going there for years. And when Katrina hit the hurricane, in the years up to that, I, I knew that New Orleans was below sea level. And I often wondered what would happen if there was a hurricane. And, but never really, I didn't just sort of thought about it as I drove into the city because I saw these, these big pumps that were there to, to pump out water. Well, the big storm hit, and I went to New Orleans a couple months after and was just, just amazed at how there were portions of the city that look, were just abandoned. I mean, I, I anticipated sort of houses being knocked over, and it wasn't like that at all. It was, it was like as if people just left. They left with their, their car trunks open, it's like it, it's very much they fled, and it was very surprising to see boats that had floated in to the middle of the street, way far away from the river. But at that meeting, this was I worked with a, a, a religious organization, and, and they had lay persons that were on their investment committee, and we got together. We couldn't even meet in New Orleans. We we met outside the the city. And each of them shared their story of what they experienced and the emotion that came through. They will never forget Katrina, and they'll never forget those feelings. Natural disasters, floods, tornadoes, and earthquakes and hurricanes can be traumatizing. They, for those who suffer through them, the, the emotional scars linger, and there's this ever-present fear that another disaster is imminent. That if the storm's coming or if you've gone through a tornado, every thunderstorm seems like it could spawn a tornado. We experienced a similar calamity in the financial markets in 2008. Global stock markets and many other asset categories fell over 30%. The global recession was brutal. Unemployment soared. Hundreds of banks failed. Tens of thousands of families and individuals lost their home to foreclosure. It's been six years. We hit the the anniversary of the market low globally was March 9th, 2009. That was the low. It's been six years. So we're mid-March now. And yet the fear of the next market downturn is ever-present. I get emails all the time from listeners that are worried about the next market crash. Now, markets experience what have very long uptrends, and these are called secular bull markets, and they experience long-term downtrends, and those are called secular bear markets. And as an example, from 1940 through 2008 in the U.S., we've experienced two secular bull markets. From 1941 to 1965. So that was 24 year bull market. And again from 1982 to 1999, 17 year bull market. Since World War II, we've experienced two secular bear markets 1966 to 1981 and 2000 to 2008. The median return for US stocks 
as measured by the SP 500 index during secular bull markets is 19.1%. So that's the median annual return. During secular bear markets, the median annual return is 5.1%. Now you'll note that both of them are positive, but certainly during bear markets, which will include some significant drawdowns like we saw in 2008 with markets falling over over 30%. But over the life of a bear market, the median return is out is 5.1%. So the question is, where have we been since 2009? Is it a continuation of the bear market, which many do think and fear that, yeah, markets have rebounded the past six years, but, but we're waiting for the next turn, the next leg down in this ongoing bear market? Or did we have the beginning of a new secular bull market that began in 2009? Now, one of the the data providers I use is a a firm called Ned Davis Research, and and they're very good market historians, and they provide all kinds of really interesting data. Their chief global investment strategist recently completed a report on secular bull and bear markets, and there's an inductive reasoning test that he used that's called the duck test, And, and it's very simple. If it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, quacks like a duck, then it is probably a duck. So, and then he applied that to the current environment. Where have we been since 19 or since 2009? So since the low of March 9th, 2009 through March 4th, 2015, and these are all, I'm going to read some annual returns, annualized returns, Components of the MSCI All-Country World Index. And so these are some of the largest countries in the index. Here's what they've done. U.S., 22% annualized return. Japan, 15.8%. Great Britain, 15.3%. France, 15.7%. Canada, 13.6%. Germany, 20.3%. Switzerland, 15.6%. Australia, 15.4%. China, 14.3%. South Korea, 12%. All double-digit returns since the bottom of 2009. So the returns suggest we are in a secular bull market. In fact, the average return for bull markets, secular bull markets, the first six years for the U.S. is about 18%. Depending on which index you use, U.S. is about 22%, and others are just under 18 or 19%. Now, what are the characteristics? Because here's the thing. If we're going to label a duck or duck, we need to understand, all right, here's some quantitative characteristics. But what are some quantitative and qualitative characteristics for a secular bottom, secular bear market bottom, and a secular bull market top? Because if a new bull market has started in 2009, then we should have hit a bottom. So what are the characteristics of a bottom? Well, low valuations. So stocks need to be cheap. Now, in 2009, stocks were very, very inexpensive, but they were not as inexpensive as they have been at the prior secular bear market bottoms, but they were cheap. Another characteristic is excessive fear. And there needs to be a high correlation among stocks. All correlations go to one. And correlations, if you recall, is how stocks move in tandem. So something 
is positively correlated if it's moving in the same direction, and it's negatively correlated if two asset classes move in different directions. During secular bear market bottoms, and during that bottoming process, correlations are very high, and they're, they're high in a downward direction. Another characteristic is the volume of trading for, for securities that are falling is much higher than the volume of trading for securities that are climbing. Because it's not necessarily everything at any given day is going down. But if you look at the trading volumes, they tend to be on the downside, tend to be very, very high. And that's because individuals have given up. They're dumping stocks or dumping their holdings because they can no longer stand the pain of losses. I distinctly remember in 2009 meeting with clients, institutional clients, the fear that they had. I had partners of mine. These were the financial advisors that were just distressed because they're, they're in some ways, they're, they're feeling all this emotion from, client, from clients. And, and I was running a, an investment strategy where I had discretion. So I could choose, and, and we had an investment committee, we could choose how much we wanted in stocks. And I had partners clamoring, said, you need to lower your stock exposure. You're too high. And this was in March of 2009. And, and the emotions were real. There was this feeling that the world was ending, at least the financial world. And it was catastrophic. And that really marked me, and I suspect it marked you. Those, that fear lingers. But that's a characteristic of a secular bear market bottom. The characteristic of a secular bull market top includes bubble-like conditions, where it's just as clear as day, at least in objective data, that markets are extremely highly priced. You look at price-earnings ratio, earnings yield, many different metrics. But it doesn't matter to individuals and investors because it's a new paradigm. Think of the conditions, if you remember, back in 1999. Investor exuberance, that's a characteristic, that things things are going to go swimmingly indefinitely because it's a new era. And so the valuations are justified because things are have never been better, and it's just going to continue. During a secular bull market top, there's narrow leadership. In other words, certain segments are doing better than the rest. We saw this in 2000. The internet stocks were doing very well. All stocks were doing well, but doing surprisingly much, much better than other areas. So it becomes very, very narrow leadership in the market. And we, we definitely saw that in technology stocks where there were other sectors that weren't doing as well. Real estate investment trusts. We talk about income investing. 1999 was a great time to, to invest in real estate investment trust because they were selling, the properties were selling at about a 15% discount to the underlying value of the private real estate. It's called a discount to net asset value. So that was 19. 99, excessive exuberance when your neighbors and the taxi drivers all have their favorite internet stock that there's going to make them millions. I think I told you earlier, here's what I do during a bubble. During this bubble, I bought the most expensive stocks I could find. I bought JDS Uniphase because I like the initials and I bought, 
I forget, Cisco Systems. So they're very pricey stocks. I bought them in early 2000, knowing they were overpriced, but I thought, well, just in case it is a new era, at least I'll have something set aside because my investment career is going downhill because every other fiber of my bone says this is a bubble and it will end. But just in case, I took a flyer. That's a secular bull market top. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Where are we today? Well, we're not between either extreme. We have, there's still a great deal of fear in the market. There's things to worry about, but it's not excessive fear. And in some ways, the fear is waning as investors become more confident the economy will continue to recover. Oftentimes, during a secular bear market bottom, there's a recession. But right now, as we look at the indicators of PMI, there is no indication the risk of a global recession right now is very, very low. Let's look at some objective quantitative data. One of my favorite measures of market valuation, stock market valuation, is what's known as an earnings yield. And an earnings yield essentially is the earnings of a particular market 
or stock divided by its price. So it is the inverse of the P.E. ratio or price-earnings ratio. And the reason why I like earnings yield is it is described in a percentage term. So right now, earnings yield of the MSCI World Index is 5.3%. So that is a earnings yield. And you can compare that to bond market yield. So the composite yield of the G7, so major developed markets right now, for their 10-year bond is 1.4%. So we have earnings yield of 5.3%. We have, for stocks, 1.4% for bond yields. So the differential is 3.9%. That's very, very high. During secular bull market high, earnings yields are often below the bond market yield. So the bond market, because inflation has picked up, there's a lot of exuberance, you have higher interest rates. And yet, because of that exuberance, valuations of stocks go up. And so the higher the valuation, the lower the earnings yield. So you get a situation where the earnings yield is below the bond market yield. During secular bear market lows, it's often the reverse, where the earnings yield is higher than the bond yield. And that is where we are today. Very high. Now, you also have to look at whether the economy is growing. And so Ned Davis does a really interesting measure is they, they take that differential between the earnings yield and the bond market yield, which is about 3.9%, and then they add GDP growth rates. And in this case, if we add the composite GDP growth rate for the G7 over the past year, has been 3.07%. And so the total... You combine those two, the 3.9 plus the 3.07, that's 6.9%, or just about 7%. So that's really a relative valuation. It's comparing stock yields versus bond yields and adding GDP, and it's really a growth-adjusted valuation. Now, what does it mean? It's a lot of math. Well, here's the scale. When that number, in this case 7%, When it's above 2, the MSCI World Index has increased, on average, 8.4% per annum. And when it's below 2, the MSCI World Index has fallen 2.8%. We're in a period where valuations are not excessive. They're fairly valued, which is a condition of secular bull markets. It's no longer the cheapest market, but it isn't a bubble-like territory. And we're in a situation where bond market yields are very, very low. And so that can actually substantiate a little higher earnings yield or a little lower earnings yield. That's where we are in terms of some of the data. Other things, you're starting to see more consistent equity flows into stock markets. You're seeing many more markets within 5% of all-time highs. So about 50% of markets right now throughout the world are within 5% of all-time highs. Generally, during secular bull markets, it's about 55% or more. So there are characteristics that suggest we are in a secular bull market and have been since 2006, and that will continue, can continue for many years. Now, I don't know how long. And here's the thing about bull markets. We're talking about secular bull markets, That does not mean we can't have market sell-offs, what are called cyclical 
cyclical bear markets. In other words, a period of a 10 to 20% type loss. But a cyclical bear market during a secular bull market, those tend to be short and shallow. An example was the one we had in 2011. Markets haven't gone straight up since 2009 during these six years. Markets in 2011 sold off in the mid-teens, but it was a short, relatively shallow decline. And one reason they tend to be short and shallow is because cyclical bears within secular bulls tend to be non-recessionary. During a recession, when global markets sell off, the losses tend to be closer to 30 to 40%. So I believe we are in a secular bull market. The data appears to support that. But here's the challenge. And... My wife, Lapril, actually came up with this analogy. We lived in Ohio, as I mentioned, for a number of years. And Ohio gets tornadoes. I remember the first tornadoes that I never heard of a tornado until I was seven or eight. And this was back in the mid-70s. There was a day when there was eight or nine tornadoes all around the city. It took out many things, parts of the town. And I've I've been fascinated by tornadoes. And so back in, I think, 97 or 98, there was a tornado that came through Cincinnati. And I I took my kids, I think at the time, I probably had an eight-year-old. My oldest son was eight. My, I had a middle son was probably four or five at the time. And we went on a drive because I thought tornadoes were cool. And I mean... Cool in the sense that I was fascinated by it. The destruction, obviously, is is traumatizing. And you don't want it to happen, but it did. And I, I guess I wanted to look. Probably not a good idea to take my kids. Because I instilled in them a fear of tornadoes way more than I ever had. And the problem with tornadoes is they turn on these warning sirens. But it's hard to tell... Whether the warning siren is for a severe thunderstorm, whether it's for a tornado, or they're just testing the sirens. And that's the problem with market sell-off, cyclical bear markets during secular bull, is when the markets sell off, is this a temporary setback or is it the beginning of something major? And that's why there's really two choices. One is just to be a buy-and-hold investor and just ride it out. The second is what I do is I adjust as the warnings come about, as the conditions change, and I don't decide. Now, part of that is deciding that in my own portfolio, I probably have too little in stocks, and I have been gradually increasing, and it is desperately hard because there's always a fear that the market will sell off again. But I use the duck test. If it looks like a duck, it swims like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, I am going to assume we are in a secular bull market. The fact that investors are still fearful is a good thing because markets climb what's known as a wall of worry. There's always something to worry about. And if investors have something to worry about, they're less likely to get exuberant and push markets into bubble territories. And that's why secular bull markets can continue for 20 to 25 years. Now, I will look at investment conditions, market conditions, and I will adjust because there are indicators. And these are some of the indicators that 
I talk about on the Money for the Rest of Us hub for those members there and, and kind of give indications of, of what the indicators are in much more detail than I'm ever able to provide in, in this weekly show. But I'm looking at those conditions and I'm depending on those conditions to walk me back into the water, into the river to take more risk again. I don't know what the level of proper market stock market exposure is for your portfolio. In, in mine, I, I typically never have more, well, I used to say never more than 40% of my publicly traded portfolio in stocks. If I include my entire net worth, it's closer to 20%. I'm a conservative investor, but I'm slowly walking my way back in and willing to take more risk. And I'm doing it because I, you can't get the returns anymore with some of these income strategies. Yields are too low. And as long as valuations are reasonable, not cheap, not overvalued, but reasonable, and as long as market internals continue to suggest positive trends positive momentum, and as long as the economy, the global economy, appears to be in expansionary, ter- expansionary territory, I will maintain some equity exposure, probably less than you, but I have it. And it's something we need to think about. Do you have too little equity exposure right now? That's episode 48. Do you have too little invested in stocks? You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.net. That's also we can sign up for my insider's guide, and I will email those show notes to you weekly. In that insider's guide, I'm answering listener questions and providing other valuable content, moneyfortherestofus.net. I realized a few minutes ago, I gave this analogy of walking back into the river. Don't walk into flooding rivers. But last week, I walked back into the river that not in Cincinnati, which was flooding, but back in Idaho where I fly fish, where I fell twice within a couple of minutes and fell hard. This time I gingerly walked back, fly fish, caught the biggest fish of my life. So gingerly walked back in, if you fish or not. This episode we talked about stocks. If you would like to explore these topics in more detail, consider becoming a member of the Money for the Rest of Us Hub. The Hub is a mobile-optimized op- mobile platform for investors who are serious about growing and preserving their wealth. It is not for traders. It's not for short-term market timers. It's generally for either buy-and-hold investors that want better insight into what is going on with the economy and with markets and want to learn more about investing new asset classes. And it's also for those investors that like to adjust their market exposure based on market conditions, some that I talked about in this episode, valuation, market internals, and economic and central bank trends. You can get more information on that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. If you have any questions on this episode or anything else, please email me, jd at jdavidstein.com. Thanks to all of you that have left reviews on iTunes. And the one person, at least last time I looked, I left a review on Stitcher. I appreciate the feedback and to to kind of get your reflection on the show and how I can continue to improve it and making something you find interesting and entertaining. 
Everything I've shared with with you in this episode is for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. Simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.